I think this is an awesome episode. My friend Ruth, who also helps me with my dogs, she stays at our house when we're out of town, uh, came today to chat. We chatted about so many things. She's working on a documentary called The Silent Goldens, which you can check out hopefully maybe next summer. But if you're interested in uh, information about it, you can go to thesilentgoldens.com. You can donate to her project if you'd like um, at that website. But we had a great conversation about uh, so many things. I don't even know how to list them. Um, about suicide, about moving, about um, mental stuff, disorders and stuff, and depression, about happiness, about all kind of dogs, about living a, an out-of-the-box lifestyle. It was a pretty great conversation. I have amazing friends. I mean, not to be braggy, but I have amazing friends. And I think I have a very diverse group of friends. And this is one of my friends. So, and you know, my podcast, uh, one of my intentions was to share my friends with the world because I think they're pretty special. So I hope you enjoy my friend, Ruth, because I enjoyed my friend, Ruth. And thank you for emailing. I read every single email. I may not respond, but I read them and I appreciate them so very much. Even the ones that tell me what I've maybe done wrong. I, how would I know I've done something wrong if someone doesn't tell me? So please keep the emails coming. And um, I hope you enjoy my friend, Ruth. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller-skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Leanne. How are you? I'm getting tired. You're getting tired? Yeah. How come? Well, I've been helping my friend move all week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me. That would be me. I'm getting tired, too. I'm so flipping tired. Um, I really appreciate your help this week. Thank it's been you so my much. pleasure. But no, I, I can imagine how tired you are because I'm starting to feel it. And Yeah, I'm really tired. Um, and I feel bad for my dogs. Ruth is Ruth. It does, I think, a lot of things for our family. But one of the main things you do is stay with our dogs when we go out of town. Yes. And we've moved, and we moved into our new house, but it's not finished. It's still in the process of being remodeled. But because Bert's only home for a short period of time, we wanted to live there as much as he could so he could enjoy it. So we moved in anyway. But it's really not dog ready because we don't have a deck off the back porch, which is the only way to access the backyard. So we, we have like the joists of the deck, but not the decking. Right. So we've left the dogs at our old house and we're taking turns sleeping over there. <laughs> we're rotating. Bert, Bert slept over there last night, which I was really surprised because oh, wow. he got home like the day before and slept that night in our new house. And then he was like, I'll sleep with the dogs. Oh my God. They were so excited to see him. I would think so. Mac lost his complete mind. He was so excited oh and it made Bert feel like a million bucks. I wish I had film of that. He filmed it. Okay. I'm sure it's on Instagram somewhere. Oh, Bert filmed it. Mac's reaction. Because I was wondering about that because you said he didn't want to go back to the old house because he'd already 
said goodbye. And then I was like, well, but if they can't bring the dogs there, is he just going to go a whole nother week without seeing his dogs? No, that answer to that was no. <laughs> you know, Bert lives in a, a very grand world and makes very big statements like, I can't do, I can't go back to this house ever. But, you know, his sister's going to live there. Right. So we're clearly going back to this house. So I think once he he got here and he came to the new house and he felt like, okay, we're actually really in this house. I think it changed yeah. how he felt. But also all this stuff's gone too. So it's yeah. not like his house anymore. It's just the house. Yeah. That's now going to be the rental. That's true. Moving yeah. stinks. It's hard. It is, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you moved yourself? Um, well, fully was about two and a half years ago when I, I, I was able to give up my apartment because of my dog sitting career. I, uh -huh. I live in other people's houses usually. So I moved all my stuff pretty much to storage. And then now I move all the time. So but I'm more on the go move. Like I, I randomly go back to storage if I'm, you know, at a house with out cable or whatever i'll go get my tv with my roku whatever oh, okay. then i'll put it back so you know i use my storage but yeah but full full on moving moving it was two years ago it was two years ago yeah. so can i ask you some questions about your vagabond life please i think it's cool <laughs> as crap i it think is. it's really smart it because you're single mm -hmm. you don't have kids mm -hmm. and you're working on your documentary which we talked about a little bit when right. you were on the podcast last time your documentary about your mom who right. committed suicide and how Correct. that affected your family um, it's called the silent goldens. Thank you. Yes. And, um, where can anybody find information about that? Uh, the silent goldens.com. Awesome. So you decided, now I feel like I'm putting words in your mouth, but I want to make sure I understand well, what you did. It kind of, it kind of all worked out simultaneously. Um, cause when I, um, when I decided to really focus on my documentary and stop working in television, um, you know, the money kind of stopped too. And so I had, when I was working in TV and traveling a lot, a lot of my friends had taken care of my dog mm -hmm. um, and he had died. And so they kind of had started asking me to sit with their dogs. Mm -hmm. And so kind of word of mouth, it kept growing and growing. And finally it reached a point about two, two and a half years ago where it was like, I'm away more than I'm at home and I'm not charging that much because I was trying to build business, you know, yeah. bottling myself. So um, I'm like, I'm basically paying for, I'm working all the time to pay for the place I'm not staying. Right. That instead of getting sense, paid yeah. to stay at these beautiful homes. Right. So I switched that. I found a place where I could crash in between jobs, you know, and pay per night. Um, and then I've technically been homeless since. Well, I don't. Are you <laughs> Not homeless? Because I always have a place to go, so I shouldn't say that. And you have a place for your stuff, but your, yeah, it's I mean, in I don't have an address. Basically, is you have a like a PO box? Yeah, I have a PO box, oh, but yeah. I'm saying I don't. I don't have a home base, but right, right. I have places to go. So. Does that ever make you feel? Does that ever bother you? No, I mean the weirdest time was actually um, when the pandemic started because mm. usually I like to be alone, and when I'm staying at other people's homes, it's just me and the dogs. Um, but that at that time, the place I was, my in-between place was with another person. Mm. So where everybody else was getting locked down by themselves and freaking out, that was kind of my dream scenario. <laughs> and here I am like now in a small condo with another person. Oh my dog. gosh. So the dog was good because I, I took it out like five times a day just to get out of the house. But um, right. it was very strange just suddenly living with another person. How about that? Yeah. 
I, you know, people, people in general are so fascinating as you only have your own perspective because how could you have someone else's? Right. You've only lived your life. And I think it's so fascinating to hear other people's way of living. And there's, I think it's amazing what you do. My dad has a friend that has always been kind of similar his whole life where he's always found a place where he could barter for rent. Mm-hmm. Um, he barters for everything, even to this day. Wow. Um, and he, because he wanted to fish all day. Mm-hmm. So he would say, you know, you take me on your boat, I'll show you where to catch fish. And he's just a tradesman right. in that way. He just trades for everything to this day. That's smart. And I thought, what a way to facilitate your own happiness. Not everything's about money or achievement, or all these things that we're, quote, supposed to be after. Maybe it's just about happiness. And that guy never saw him unhappy. We call him Captain Dave. Never seen him unhappy. Now, he's older now, and he's having some health issues. And now things are getting a little complicated. Right. But up until, I mean, 72 or 3. So he lived all these years from... I think from a couple years out of college until now, just sort of uh, going where the where life took him, right. you know, and living in somebody's back house for free, and he'd do repairs around their house or whatever his mm-hmm. trade was. And I was like, that's actually so freaking cool. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be the formula we're fed, right? Yeah, which took me a long time to come to terms with. <laughs> it did? Yeah. And I mean, I think the the reason I was able to start doing this is because I had my documentary. So it's like this was a way to facilitate giving myself time to do it as well as, you know, a way to make some money doing something I liked. And right. kind of that naturally came to me because I, I have a hard time like concentrating and shifting things. So shifting. Um, yeah, I can't even think like of Like tasks? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So um, for me, it's like I knew I couldn't do two full time jobs, you know, but then but this has been hard for me, too. I mean, it's been more of a struggle than I have only because my own self-discipline, you know. What do you mean? What's been a struggle working on your documentary or? Yeah, just, you know, being not not working on it, but just having giving myself the time and space because it's it's labor intensive. Totally. Looking through the footage and stuff. So, you know, I I'm not like. I don't work an hour here and an hour there. I need like three hours just to sit down and bang it out. And, you know, partly because I love what I do. I never yeah. say no. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Keep going. But, um, you know, but it's also it is it is a lot harder than I thought. It's not just like you walk the dog and then there's time because they're there and you love them and you want to play with them. And, you know, so it, it is more time consuming than in my brain it was going to be when I started doing it. Right. But I love it. So It's like having children. I thought to myself, as soon as Isla gets to kindergarten, I can write again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big, big, no. Exactly. No way. I still am barely writing. And she's almost 15. She'll yeah. be 15 this weekend. So it's a big misnomer and some of those things. You know, dogs are like kids and you want to be with them and you Absolutely. want to play with them and you want to walk with them. And you want to tuck them in the yard. And then all of a sudden you've done nothing with your day, including like your laundry. Right. I mean, like nothing. So kids are the same way. I'd much rather be hanging out with my kids and playing games or in the pool or riding bikes or something. So I see what you mean. So when I first met you, you were much heavier. Really? Yes. You seem a lot lighter. Oh, like emotionally. Yes. (laughs) Not, no, not. Really? Because I've been made over the (laughs) pants. No, no. 
No, you were heavier emotionally. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> but no, you're a lot lighter. So I was like, no, I've gained. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I feel I feel it. I think because I was. I'm trying to think. It was about three years ago, I think. Already. At least two and a half. Yeah. Two and a so, half, three, um, like Yeah, I was still kind of at the beginning trying to get like all the writing done to get this thing even going. Mm-hmm. I think it was before maybe I'd even filmed anything. So once I started filming and people started talking, like I could see where the story was heading. Got it. And stuff. So that's probably a plus. I think just the talking itself has mm-hmm. done a lot of good. Of course. You know, I mean, my my relationship with my dad is so different now because I mean, basically the premise of the film is that, you know, my mom died when I was 19 and in college. And then um, my family just didn't talk about it like a lot of families back then. Mm-hmm. Suicide is not something you talk about. So 30 years down the line, I started hating my life in television. And, you know, I was just my own depression was catching up with me and all that stuff. And um, finally I realized, you know, this needs to be talked about. Like this is obviously something on my mind and it's kind of stupid not to talk about it. So I just asked if we could and we did. And it's, it, it hasn't changed anything in, in these great ways. Like I don't call home every day going, I love you, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I feel like all our conversations are real. Even if we're talking about the weather, it's like, cause I'm listening to him. Uh I don't have that thing anymore of like, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we talking about it? Uh Even though I didn't need to all the time, the fact that we never had just put this whole thing around it. So I think just the fact that I'm now free to say it and, and it's also given me purpose and because I've become involved in volunteering and helping other like recent survivors. I I do a peer support thing with them. Um, So it's, it's given me a purpose. I think that I no longer found in producing television. (laughs) <laughs> and that you didn't have before you were talking about it right, with your family, right. right? If it was something that was so, I don't know if it was taboo or if it was just a denial or what was going on with your family with why it wasn't spoken about, but it, it leaves you stunted, right? Oh, absolutely. It stunts your um, development. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, I mean, we're developing all the time. I'm still growing and right. developing but if you get if you keep banging up against the same wall, you're it doesn't matter what therapy you do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what, you know, sage you smudge yourself with, how many psychics you talk to. If you keep banging up against that same wall, you can't go any further. And also when it's there for so long, yeah. it does so much more damage because I actually yeah. I do this little YouTube um, series called Talking About Suicide Loss With where I, I ask other loss survivors three basic questions did you talk about it initially? Why did you decide to go public with your story? And how did it change your relationship to your grief? And this one woman who she actually lost her mom when she was in high school mm-hmm. and her family, like my family, it wasn't taboo. Nobody said, don't talk about it. We just kind of didn't. And it was, I guess, generational and just our own weirdness. Mm-hmm. But, um, but with her, her aunt said, no, it, it was a heart attack. You were telling people it's a heart attack. Oh, my God. She didn't. She lost friends. She lost a boyfriend. And she found nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody wanted to help her. Um, and so her, the line that always stuck with me that she said was, I always wonder who I would have been if that hadn't have happened. Oh, my God. You know, and that's kind of the same for me because my mom was a social worker. And I, I was, I mean, I think I was depressed since birth, but I didn't really wasn't a great teenager in terms of like figuring out stuff I liked and where I was going. So I was just kind of following the path and I'm pretty sure I would have been a social worker. Ah. So that's always sort of been a 
a guilt thing for me that I went into television, <laughs> not social work. So for me, this kind of combines the two. It's like my social service gene kicked in right. and it does make me feel good, but I don't have to like be a social worker. I can right. use that in something that I found that I do love too, which is make, you know, telling stories and yeah. making video entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, that's really, really cool. Yeah. It's really cool when you can f- have a transformation as an older person. Mm. We're not old, but older than your twenties. No, I was 50. You know, it was, a, it was yeah. approaching my 50th birthday when I got the light bulb. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I just turned 50. So I know it's, it's kind of a, a moment in life where you go, I kept going, I'm halfway over. I'm halfway done because I will live to 100. I'm, okay. I'm determined. But I mean, pretty much you're halfway <laughs> done. Like it's all downhill from here. And it's kind of not depressing, but awakening, you know, that, wow, maybe you should start paying attention to certain things like my health. For me, I just went, okay, all bets are off. I've always resisted getting a trainer because I, quote, don't need one. Mm-hmm. I need one. I'm now having pains in places. I'm now having a hard time getting up off the floor unassisted, and I'm not even fat. So I'm losing muscle. I need to get some professional in here to tell me how to get mm-hmm. myself healthy. So that was a big thing for me once I turned 50. But I think that midlife crisis of back in the day is something similar where someone goes, oh, wow, this thing is broken and has been broken all my life. Mm -hmm. What have I wasted? What time have I wasted? What do I do now? How do I fix it now? You know, I would imagine that's how a lot of people feel when they come up against some emotional wall. Yeah. I mean, for me, it it all came to a head in a Target when I dropped my, I took my dog who was 10 at the time. Or no, he was 12. I had him for 10 years. Or he was 11. Anyway, I took him just for his regular checkup. um, And the doctor found something in his stomach, took an x-ray. She's like, I need to send you for a biopsy. Sent me like up to Woodland Hills. Mm -hmm. Dropped him off. They said it was going to take three hours. I hadn't had, it was about 11 in the morning. I hadn't had breakfast, anything to drink. So I went to Target to get something. And I just remember thinking in my head, walking in the door, like, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. And then I, mm. I grabbed a soda. I w- and instead of going to the checkout, I went to customer service. I said, I don't feel well. And I like fell down in a complete <gasps> panic attack. Oh, my I ended God. up in the ER and then just complete depression to the oh point. Oh, my God. Where like because I'm not married um, and don't don't have a family other than my my dad and sister. I called my dad and said, I I have no coping mechanisms left. Like, I do not know what to do with myself. Oh and my God, so he helped me find heart. some help. Yeah. So, I mean, I cracked, you know, I because I wasn't I never let myself believe that any of this could affect me. I'm like, that was her thing. That was her decision. Oh. You know, she wanted us to because she she had cancer and um, it, it was this whole long story. Like, they didn't even tell us how bad the cancer was and all this stuff. So, but her whole focus was me and my sister were in college and everything was about the education. So she didn't want to distract us and this whole thing. So, you know, everything was, was blindsided. And then I felt like, well, she killed herself so we could go on, you know, and have this beautiful life. And then I never achieved that. And I didn't follow the path I thought she wanted. So there was all these So much. Plus, I think I was born with depression. And I mean, I can count now that I know what it is and and was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. I can count about 13 episodes from childhood on. Really? How early? How young were you when you first remember? Pretty early. I think like definitely elementary school, maybe like eight or nine. Really? Yeah. What does that look like? Just like 
I mean, insecure, just not wanting to like go places, like always crying. Like, and I think even in kindergarten, like whenever there was an assembly, I'd start crying and they had to send me to the nurse's office. <laughs> like, I just didn't want to join. Like I was forced and like my parents sent me to summer camp and everybody, I always hated it. And everybody thought I was homesick, but I'm like, well, knowing myself now, I'm pretty sure I just didn't want to be forced to live in a bunk with like nine other girls and be told what to do every hour of the day. But how is that depression? Well, no, I'm saying because like, I just oh. want to be by myself uh-huh. and just sit in my room and read a book. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know that that was depression, but I'm just, I mean, like, I remember there was like a bullying episode in fourth grade, you know, that um, like this girl said she'd, she was gonna, um, I mean, it was maybe anxiety mixed with depression, but like she said she was going to tell the police I stole some gum when I didn't. <laughs> and like for months, this harbored on me until I was sick of hearing police sirens. And I remember on summer vacation, like crying to my mom that I thought the police were after me. Oh my God. Because this girl told somebody I stole some gum. You know, like that kind of thinking that just wrapped up in my own self. I can't believe I'm saying this in public. Um, Uh, It sounds to me like anxiety. It sounds exactly like what happens in Bert's brain. It's just not just anxiety, but it's, it's anxiety. It's simply anxiety. And, you know, Georgia had a major panic attack two nights ago where she came in the back door shaking heart just pounding and she said I don't feel good she was white I had her sit down and I said what's going on she said I'm having a panic attack I haven't had one of these in a long time but I'm definitely gonna die and I was like no girlfriend you're not gonna die this is a panic attack and it you're gonna be okay let's ride it out together and I just sat with her on the couch and and held her shoulders mm-hmm. and held her hand and she squeezed my hand and we tried to practice breathing and eventually it went away. Wow. And, you know, that's for her specifically. It's triggered by. I think it's triggered by um, stress mm-hmm. and we're moving. Right. And it's trigger. I was like, there's no wonder. I mean, even under the best of circumstances, moving is stressful. And she and her sister had to help me a lot with this move. So, but I look at that and I go, that is her chemical makeup. Mm -hmm. There is no person who would want that to be their reality. Nobody was like, oh, I think I'll have an anxiety attack. No one would want that. And I think it was so misunderstood when we were kids or or maybe not even known. I don't think where I grew up, anybody knew what anxiety was was couldn't even define the word i mean when i my mom had me go to therapy with her once because she was uh, she was convinced i was the problem in her in our relationship and the therapist after talking to me was like no she's just has some anxiety that's but it's like like normal early 20s anxiety and i that was the first time i'd actually heard that word related to like someone's state of being. Right. I don't know. Maybe when I'd heard it before, it hadn't meant anything, but I was like, Oh, so anxiety is when I like am biting my fingernails. Right. That's anxiety. Oh, okay. Now I know what that. Yeah. I didn't learn that until my twenties. Right. Me neither. I I was early twenties. Yeah. I went to a therapist once over some crisis and because they asked if I was anxious and to me, anxiety was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do next? Like, I don't know. And I was never like that. Everybody always called me very easygoing. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I'm easygoing. But then when I realized it's the the constant thoughts right. and the like ruminating. Yeah. yeah. It's the ruminating. My mom called it perseverating. And that's how yes. I know I always did it because my whole childhood, because that's a clinical term. Yes. She it says is. she kept saying, stop perseverating. Yeah. Of course. Isn't she, that interesting? Because yeah. as a social worker, you think she'd realize you can't tell somebody to stop. 
right? Because that's what they do. They but continue. When we, but the depression, when we moved to Texas, I was I was going into seventh grade when we moved to Texas. So 11 that's going a on to tough 12. year to move. It's a tough year to move. Talk about culture shock. And yeah, I was where like, did you move from? Um, from the suburbs of New York City, Larchmont uh-huh. um, to Galveston, Texas. To Galveston. To Galveston. Lord. Exactly. And um, so I was super angry. Like at first I was thrilled. I was like, oh, change. I love it. And then I got to school, hated it, like didn't make any friends, the whole thing. And that's um, I got super angry. And at one point my parents said, like, you know, do you want to see a therapist? And then I said, no. Why do you think I'm crazy? And like, like turn my attitude around enough because I think I just wanted somebody to notice. But since that point on, like. I didn't care about making friends. I had like one friend a year and, you know, I didn't want to get involved in any of the social activities or right. it was just the, let me watch TV and yeah. it'll, it'll come to me later. <laughs> right. The friends will show up when I need them. And, you know, people, people process the world differently. Bert processes the world with huge crowds all mm-hmm. the time. I would never be able to do that. Never. Um, and, Nothing's wrong with that. Right. It was either one. They were just all different. I think we, we as a society, try too hard to get everybody to fit in this one little right. box. And I have one kid who does not fit in any box. And I watch it affect her negatively sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart because I think all the things that keep you out of the box are the things that make you amazing. Mm-hmm. And when you're an adult... The world is a lot easier mm-hmm. because then you can you can decide I'm going to get rid of my apartment. I'm going to dog sit and I'm going right. to work on my documentary. And either you don't really give a shit or the people that you surround yourself with because they love you don't give a shit either. Right. But in school, you're forced into a peer group, whether you're close to those peers or not. You're forced into this, you know, uh, congregation of kids that have judgments or that do just fit in the box. Right. You know, there are some kids who just are in the box and but, that's, but that's fine. the problem that, that there is the box yes. at all. So yeah, because it's like, it's not the kids always putting pressure on each other, but no. you know, it's, you have to get a certain grade or you, it's you society. Know, you have to it's get our culture. Yeah. Culturally things are just sometimes, I think as much as we try to be liberal and open or we're not. I mean, even the people I know who are liberal are very close to any ideas other than their own liberal ideas, which is not open. Right. That's still as specific as the conservative person you quote hate. Right. You're both rigidly attached to your own ideas and not open uh, to someone else's way of living. I mean, there are, not to get political, but our whole country was built on that that um, principle that right. we could all live however we wanted and that that was celebrated actually right. and supported, or at least that's the way I thought it was, you know, intended is that Protestant and a Catholic could live, be neighbors right. and not kill each other. Right. But um, anyway, I don't know. It's, I, I find it shocking that so many things haven't changed, not to mention race problems in this country, but things like that, like, I feel like we've gone backwards, sort of. In but some I, th- of that. I think the only thing I've noticed, like that sort of rigid in myself, is um, my best friend that w- moved out of here um, when her daughter was eight. And so, because I was always freelance, even before I started dog sitting, I um, I was able to help her like pick her up from school and stuff a lot. So um, 
I remember like she'd talk about things that happened with teacher or whatever. I'm like, or she just didn't want to do her homework. So it didn't matter. I'm like, we could never have gotten away with that. Like, no, you listen to your teachers. Oh, yeah. But it's it's not like that anymore. Like they have give back and forth with their teachers. And so I know like because of the way I was brought up, I'm like, no, you have to do it that way. (laughs) Yeah, that is very true. There's a lot of that kind of Mm loosey-goosiness that, that, yeah, we didn't have any loosey-goosey. If the teacher said it, the parent was on the teacher's team. Right. That is not the way it works. Right. And so I, I was always like, well, my bet. You know, yeah, which, right. I don't want to be that person, but it made sense to me because it makes sense. It does make sense. And that's kind of the philosophy I've always had, too, is if the, te- if the teacher assigns homework, you do your homework. I don't care what else you have going on. You got to be at death's door sick for me to say no to homework. And homework is only 10% of your grade. You could blow the whole homework off and probably not even affect your grade. But that's not the point. The point is the teacher said, do it, and you just do it. Sorry. It's kind of how. It's another thing I say to my kids is a society has to have rules. They have to. Or we, we couldn't function. So we've all agreed to live by these rules. Right. So then you can't just go, they don't apply to me. Right. Then that's not fair and that's not how it works. Then what if everybody said, well, murder being illegal doesn't apply to me? Well, then I can't. That's ridiculous. Which is the only thing political I'll say, which is what many people in this country seem to have forgotten, that we're supposed to be living in a society and society has rules. Yes, it does. And we all have to kind of conform to certain rules. Yes. We all have our individual freedoms to be who we want. But yes. There are rules to keep us all safe and happy and healthy. Yes. There's a base. There's a base we all start from. It's and then community. I know, right? It's called <laughs> civic duty. I am big That's on civic duty. Question. It's hard though, because with the suicide thing, like I won't get political at all. Yeah. Like, I've never posted anything political because I'm just like, I can't alienate half my, the people that need to hear my message, you know? Right. And no. It's no. that bad right now that if you do say that, like you will turn off people who won't listen to you talk about suicide. It's so true. of your politics. I agree with you. And you know, what's really funny is um, I see good things in both sides. Mm-hmm. I genuinely do. And I, I have to say the people who are conservative accept that far better than the people who are liberal in my experience. So if I say, well, I think ABC is good over over here on the conservative mm-hmm. side and I think DEF is good over here on the liberal side, why can't we like come in the middle? Right. The conservative side, when I go back home, my family is far more willing to hear what I have to say. Now that's my experience of my family. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the people I talk to back home when I go home. But if I say something like that here, holy ripped a new asshole Mm -hmm. where I'm like, wow. Okay. never mind. Note (laughs) to self. I won't tell you any of my opinions anymore because that's not fair. I should be able to have my opinion and hear yours and let it affect me. Maybe you'll change my whole thing is fairness. And I just think, yeah, whatever happens, there's got to, you got to meet in the middle. Right. I would say like, I, I used to read, um, when I lived in New York, there was the New York Post, which is, you know, the conservative. And then there was Spy Magazine, which was like the ultra liberal, almost parody magazine. And I'm like, I'll read them both. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Very true. Very true. So um, when do you think you'll be done with your documentary? I'm hoping I've actually started post-production. I've, nice. Yeah, I was trying. Part of the problem I realized is it's very hard to go from like, 
it's very easy to put something together when somebody gives you like the budget and the resources and whatever, versus you trying to have, have, uh, they want you to put together the story versus starting with the story and then having to put together all the resources. Ah. So I kind of tried to do it the right way and get all the resources, but I was able to film enough that I'm like, I have enough that I'm just going to make it what I can right now and see if any more resources come my way. So I started with the director. We're in post production right now. I'm hoping to finish that by the end of the fall, get it to my real editor to make it look pretty. And then by next spring, be able to premiere it. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause uh, it'll be, I think five years then since I started it. Wow. And, um, and I have, for two years now, um, I'm supposed to give a presentation at a national convention that's been postponed now because of COVID. And then mm. they postponed it. It was supposed to be at the end of August or at the end of July, but um, this month, but they postponed it another year. So I feel like that's kind of like, that's the the um, sign. Right. Like, so I can premiere because it's a conference for long-term suicide loss survivors, which wow. is where I first got my idea fully validated. I went to their first ever conference. Now this will be their second conference. So if I can have it completed and see like, see, I told you guys. That's amazing. Yeah. That would be so powerful it for you. So. That's awesome. That's my goal. That's a good goal. Yeah. Really good goal. It's got to feel, how does it make you feel? Like, how has it changed you in relation to uh, your mom? It's definitely, I feel like it's brought her back to life again. Because not only did we not talk about her death, we just really didn't talk about her at all. Like, it was always awkward bringing her up. Because my dad also got married a year and a half, or I mean, a year and a week after she died. Mm. (laughs) So even my sister, when I finally started talking to her about why didn't she ever bring it up? She's like, well, Connie came into the picture so early. Like I, I didn't feel I could, or I didn't want to hurt her right, feelings right. or whatever. But um, so to me, it's like, I'll talk about her. Like I just was home for a week and then I was talking about her left and right. Oh, did mom say this? Did mom say that? And it doesn't bother my stepmother, right? you know, and why if should it does, it, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, to me, it's like, that's always been the thing about death versus divorce. Yeah. It's like, with death, you can still love the person and right. and people can appreciate that you hold them up on this pedestal. Divorce Ain't that the truth? Won't work that way. No, it don't. So I've never felt like she had to go away, you right. know, but it was just weird that she did. So I think that's that's been the biggest thing. And and just hearing stories from other people, because don't forget, I only had 19 years worth of stories. I hadn't really started asking her all about her childhood yet or right. her relationships or anything like that. So hearing other stories kind of makes her like, more, I can see a movie of her more than just the pictures that were left in the photo albums. Right. So you feel more connected to her? I think so. I mean, it's it's weird because I'm not one of those people. I, I, with my dog, I did feel his presence. With people, I've never felt like oh, they're watching over me right. or anything. But I just, I don't know. I just, It just feels like, you know, yeah, they're, she's still there. Like, you don't have to get rid of people mm-hmm. just because they die. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still part of your life and celebrating them is part of the legacy. And she's part of your cellular makeup. Exactly. I mean, you you are from her. I look like her, so it's you pretty do. hard to get away from that. <laughs> you do. I've seen pictures on your posts and stuff, but I don't remember thinking, oh, Ruth looks like her mom. Well, I, I always thought I did, but some people have said I look more like my dad, but mm-hmm. and I always go for the nose look, and she, she had the bigger nose. So. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Well, I think it's really awesome that you're making this because- There's so there, you know, when someone commits suicide in your life, you have so many questions Mm -hmm. and so much 
pain that has no salve. Right. You know, there's just so many things you can't resolve. Um, and I personally, with the suicides I've that's happened in our lives, mine and Bert's, we just we feel responsible in some way, even if the, logically you know right. there's no way, but there's this awful feeling that I, I coulda, woulda, shoulda that just stays with you forever. We just moving found my wedding pictures and one of our groomsmen mm -hmm. died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm flipping through and I saw his bright smile and his mm -hmm. fun face and he was so gorgeous. And his girlfriend at the time was just a complete disaster. And she's in all the pictures and mm -hmm. had a laugh a minute about this girl that he brought to the wedding that was just a disaster. Um, and I really missed him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, dang, if there was anything we could have done Again, yeah. and it's been, ah, let's see, how long ago did he pass away? Probably seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, it just kind of doesn't really completely go away. Yeah. And, I, and things trigger it. I mean, I know like when um, Kate Spade died, mm -hmm. um, she at first, I, I actually didn't totally know she was a person. <laughs> <laughs> you thought she was a handbag? <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was a brand name. But when I was reading about her, she was around my age. So I was thinking about that. But then I read she had a 13-year-old daughter. And then I wasn't thinking about Kate Spade anymore. Yeah. All I was thinking about was her daughter. Because yeah. I just went right back there. Like, is anybody totally. talking to this girl? Like, what yeah. would help? You know, because that's my perspective sure. of it. Um, but, you know... And uh, one of the those interviews I did for my YouTube thing, um, this girl, it was funny because she said the same words to me I always say to people, which is everybody's story is the same. It's like, I, I mean, everybody's story is different, but, but they're all the same yeah. because we're all left with the same things. Yeah. I mean, there's things I don't feel totally responsible for my mom's death, but there's things I feel responsible for that could have made her feel worse and might have pushed her over the edge, you right, know, but right. everybody's. Everybody has that with somebody, right? you know, and, and that's one of the sucky things. And that's why, especially, um, I mean, talking about it in general helps, but especially talking about it with other people who've lost somebody right. is really the only, I mean, it's like any trauma. Like yeah. I, I thank God I've never survived sexual abuse. So I'd have a hard time having an empathetic or, you know, fully empathetic conversation sure. with, with somebody that had, mm. but I totally do it all the time with people that have lost someone to suicide because hearing each other's stories, like it, it just helps validate, you Completely. know, like hear, hearing somebody that's experienced it helps the new people understand that mm -hmm. what they're going through is normal, mm -hmm. but helping, helping them helps me mm -hmm. resolve my own grief. So. Totally. It's a, it's amazing how powerful talk quote talk therapy is. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean necessarily with a therapist, but to talk to yeah. another survivor of whatever trauma yeah is so powerful. I get so many emails from people saying, I love to hear you talk about your relationship with your mom because I never knew anybody besides me who had that mom or dad. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relief to know that someone else had that same experience. Obviously, it's not the same. But, right, some, but it's, you get, it's, it's the, the same, same ramifications. Yeah, it's the same because... I believe my mom has some borderline personality disorder stuff. I, be, I believe that. She's not been diagnosed. Right, right. I believe that. And from all the books that I've read, it's very clear to me that I'm mm -hmm. pretty right on track. So, and I didn't know that, you know, this sounds really stupid. I didn't know they wrote books about stuff like that. I just didn't. 
And and then I was really old before I figured out, hey, there may be a book about that. They probably didn't write them for a long time. No, they have. For BPD people? Really? Oh, yeah. Borderline personality disorder. I've only heard about that in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah, but that's 20 years ago. I was, well, I was 30. I guess you're right. And 20 years ago, I thought it was about 12. (laughs) I still feel I'm 12, so. Right? I get get lost track of my own age. But, yeah, I remember when I first found a book that described what it was like to live with someone with what I think is going on with my mom. I couldn't believe it. I was mm-hmm. like, someone just snuck in my room and took notes of my entire childhood. And they wrote a book about it. And But these were other people's stories. Oh, right. But they were my story. And it was like the biggest weight had been lifted off my shoulders because Absolutely. I thought it was definitely mostly me. Mm-hmm. Like what was going on with my mom was mostly me. That I definitely was some kind of a really bad person. And then when I read that, I was like, oh, actually, I'm not a really bad person. She's just really unhealthy. And it's not actually her fault. Um, This is not something that she can help. Um, Doesn't mean I have to endure it, but... But it it gives you... Understanding, it gives you compassion. And forgiveness. And forgiveness is freedom. If you can forgive, you are free. And You you don't have to forget that. You don't have to forget, <laughs> nor should you forget, because to forget is to be a fool, I think, because uh, then you just keep making the same mistake over and over again, and you continue a bad cycle if you forget. So, but forgiving is so very hard and easy, and it's just like, mm. it's the key to all happiness. But I think. I think, I think like in your situation, much like in mine, there's plenty of people that have had the same experience. They're just not totally. talking about it. Totally. Uh, or they don't even know that it's abnormal. Right, right. Like, grow, I hear from a lot of people who are from small towns. And that's one amazing thing that podcasting has done for, I think, mental health in general mm-hmm. is to bring awareness to mm-hmm. the nooks and crannies where this is not okay to talk about right. out culturally where people live. It definitely wasn't okay to talk about where I live culturally. So... I think that's such a gift that podcasting has been able to, not just from talking like we're talking, right, but right. from legit, like oh, absolutely. psychology type podcasting and hidden brain, you know, how the brain works. But that kind of enlightenment sounds like a big word, but it is kind of enlightenment yeah. is, it's just so powerful and can be so healing to people. Um that I don't know. I think it's really cool where we're the time we're in now is really interesting time yeah. because there are people who are and it also part of me makes it makes me sad because I think about the southern men I grew up with mm-hmm. that are very specific mm-hmm. that now have their horizon has been broadened by many different TV shows being accessible and podcasts and they've become more worldly. I feel like those nook and cranny type personalities are going to start being very homogenized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of those nook and crannies are maybe not politically correct, but they're pretty freaking fantastic and specific and interesting Mm -hmm. and cool. And I'm bummed about that, that that may be changed. No, I agree. Cause uh, like for me, New York is, is a great example. Cause when I moved there in 1987, Mm -hmm. Um, you were hard pressed to find a McDonald's. Okay. Mm. And everything was just its own restaurant. And then oh, I was working at MTV in 91, 92. 
in Times Square and they put in an olive garden. Oh my God. And that's when New York started just becoming like any other big city. Right. You can go to London, you see the same stores. You, right. You know, Tokyo, probably same stores. I mean, a few different. But I, because I used to travel a lot. And um, after a while, it just became like, why would I just go to another big city in a foreign country when I'm just going to see the same things I can see right outside my doorstep? But it also yeah. made New York depressing too, because yeah. it's like, I don't need to go to the Olive Garden in Times Square. Right. There's Interesting you say that. I went to Vietnam with Sandy. And she hadn't been there in a while. And mm-hmm. Vietnam had no fast food the last time she was there. And like every four blocks, there was a KFC. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I actually don't think my husband should come back here. I think this would make him extremely depressed. Mm-hmm. Because it's changing. Everything becoming global mm-hmm. is f- wonderful and very unfortunate at the same time. You know? I think the last time I went, I went to Paris was like, 15, maybe even longer ago. And I'll just never forget driving from the airport. I saw a billboard for Disneyland, Paris, and then for one for Ikea. I'm like, where am I? Uh, wait, am I in, am I in Anaheim? Did or, I leave anywhere? Or is there's the Eiffel Tower? Is this Vegas? Or I'm so confused. How crazy. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm it is crazy. It's brains. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. It's a I mean, part of it's good because we can get around more and see more and do more. But it it is a little sad how it, it is. It's everything's so globalized. It is a little sad. And, you know, it's easier life, I think, in a lot of ways. But like, you know, my grandparents grew every single thing they ate. Really? Uh-huh. They grew all. The, well, I mean, obviously, they they bought Oreos. Well. And stuff like that. You know, they they weren't completely in a cave. But my grandmother had a full garden. Mm. So if there was a vegetable on her table, 90% chance wow. it came from her yard. And, you know, they grew cattle for beef. They raised cattle for beef. So if we ate that, a lot of the times it was from their stock. So nobody does that anymore. Mm. I mean, it's so rare. And that was common. Like her brother lived down the street, totally big vegetable garden. Um, like all her relatives, all her age group grew so much of their mm-hmm. own fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, she had a lot of fruit. On, she had strawberries, blackberries. I don't remember if she had blueberries, but she had apples, muscadine, peaches, and all on her property. Well, I saw you're putting in a cherry tree. I got two cherries, two plums, nice. an orange, and two apple trees. It's owed to her. And my pop. I was super close to them. I miss them terribly. But yeah, a lot of this property is um, recreating in a modern way what they had. So I'm going to have a vegetable garden too when this is all settled. But I never fancied myself that person. It's so interesting how your childhood affects you so strongly. You know, Mm -hmm. I was such a a country girl. And then at seven, my parents divorced and my mom moved me to Atlanta, like mm-hmm. in the middle, in the middle of um, Midtown. Mm-hmm. And I like had no kids on my block, no friends. And I was left this huge open country, cousins everywhere. Mm-hmm. Food on the table was grown in the yard kind of thing. And then I ended up going back there for high school. And I'm, I'm surprised at I, you know, from seven to 13, I lived in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which is pretty formative years. But I really am much more that person from the farm than I am the person from the city. The person from the city's there for sure. Right, right. But like in a lot of the way I think mm-hmm. and is from the farm. 
I'm so fascinated by that now that I'm getting older at how, like my accent is getting worse mm-hmm. and I haven't lived there since 93 and it's getting worse as I get older. Not that worse is a bad thing. It's getting thicker. I shouldn't right. say worse. It's getting stronger. Mm-hmm. It's going back to what it was before I left. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with it. I just find it really interesting. And why? You know, do yeah, those know. those roots in the beginning are so strong. Well, I, th- I think the fact that you went back to in high school, like I think kind of bookended your childhood. Yeah, probably, and, yeah. and plus it's the people, you know, your connection with your grandparents. Most, yeah. That that probably really grounds you in that. I mean, my people were city people, but I don't have a thing for Queens, New York. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a thing for Queens? Well, I know I have a thing for like, I feel very comfortable in a blue collar world. Mm-hmm. Much more so than, but I'm fine in a white collar world. But like, I've been working at my house trying to get ready with all these guys that right. are building my house, and I'm super comfortable with them. Right. Because that's where my dad came from, where right. my mom kind of elevated us a little bit mm-hmm. into a different, not that that's lower, but we got into a, that sounded bad. Elevated sounded bad. She shifted us into a different type of culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think my, my heart of hearts chose the original culture I started in mm-hmm. and stayed there and never kind of found my way out of it completely. Yeah. Um, I'm most comfortable day to day working. Yeah. <laughs> like working, like actually physically yeah. working like I've been doing on this house. Um I don't know. I just find that really fascinating because I think that's directly related to my childhood. It's not necessarily my wiring. Maybe it is, but I think it is my experience and where I felt most loved, you know, and accepted. And are you still close to like your cousins and everything? Oh, yeah. I'm really close to my dad's whole family. Yes. It's got to be it. It's awesome. It's really a gift. I used to have a cute little Southern accent. You when did? I was in Texas, from Galveston? From Galveston. And when I first moved to New York, I was waitressing. And I'm, oh, do y'all like something to drink? And um, I get big tips because, uh, well, oh, yeah. there was Memphis was kind of in the interim. I started waitressing in Memphis. for, <sighs> And um, there, like, I, I, when I moved to New York, I'd say, like, a, a, the tip for the entire meal with drinks in Memphis is just the drinks in New York. And then you go, do y'all like some more coffee? Yeah. It, it just keeps going up. They loved it. Yeah. Where are y'all from? Same with me. I made a ton of money as a waitress in New York City. Yeah. And here, actually. Even here in and California. Yeah. How are y'all doing tonight? Got them. <laughs> like, hook in the mouth. <laughs> the best was that I actually worked at Graceland when we moved to Memphis. Did you really? The year before my mom died, they'd moved to Memphis. And so after she died, I, I worked at Graceland for a summer. And I got pulled from... Um, the gift shops into the, they'd start an ice cream store that year. And there were four of us that got pulled to work there and we had fruit punch and lemonade. So that's when I learned the Memphis accent. You just lean back, fruit punch or lemonade. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why'd you move so much? Um, I don't know. My dad was a, he's a doctor. He's in academic medicine. And for some reason, instead of taking sabbaticals, he chose to move every seven years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we moved from New York to Texas and then they moved, my parents moved to Memphis when my sister and I were in college. And then seven years after that, he and my stepmother moved to Philadelphia. And then he moved jobs within Philadelphia. And then he retired. Interesting. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I wanted the sabbatical year though. Yeah. Right. In Australia. Yeah, totally. That was my dream. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Wow. yeah. Um, what'd you do at MTV? 
I, uh, well, I started at VH1 as a junior writer in the promo department, and then I moved up to the cool floor um, in MTV News and Specials. I started as an assistant to three different producers um, that did the documentary style stuff. And then um, like rockumentaries at the time, it was mm-hmm. Sex in the 90s was a big show. And oh, House of Style, mm-hmm. I started on in its second season. And then um, little by little, as I got more involved in each of the uh, my producer's projects, like those little jo- the assistant job went away and I just became like a coordinate, I mean, a associate producer, then a coordinating producer. That's awesome. And then I left with one of my bosses who wanted to start his own company. Okay. And then didn't. And so I and then started didn't. freelancing other places. <laughs> Why didn't he start his company? He just, I guess, didn't. He's one of those guys that like people just call all the time to do stuff. So he didn't actually really have to pursue projects that he could bring uh, me or anybody else along with. Got it. So he just kind of became a freelancer. Pretty much. Yeah. And was at a place where he could do that. And and I wasn't. So anywhere, I, yeah. and I, was, I actually, though, I got to work at FX right when it launched. Yeah. And that was really cool because it was supposed to be an all live network. Mm. And they rented or they got this like full floor of a, of a building in New York and made it like an apartment. that we shot everything from I mean not the outdoor stuff but everything was inside like all the different shows used different rooms and everything so that was really cool to work on live show and be part of something like that um and then I got into reality tv that's when stopped being that interesting (laughs) yeah not interested in reality well a it's not reality b um there's only so much of it you can do yeah in my to me yeah, it you. just wasn't my thing. It wasn't your there thing. There are great though. shows out there and great people making them. Yes, totally. I was. Hey, not every shoe fits every foot. Exactly. So that's uh, okay. Um, Bird did a show for FX called The X Show. Were you familiar with The X Show? No. It was a live it, show. It was probably long after I I was left to like, wait, it started in 96. I mean, I was there like the first two years. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I think The X Show was probably 99, 2000, somewhere around mm. there. I don't know. Oh no, that's when I moved out here. So yeah, no, my turn tenure was long over. I have, I have the shirt from um, Y two K the launch day. <laughs> oh, from the launch it, day. It's embroidered. It was like June first, nineteen ninety four. Oh, there you go. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. Ninety four. Well, that's because nobody had it. That mm-hmm. it was one of those things like nobody knew what I did for a living because nobody could see what I was doing because it would only showed up in like really small markets, basically. Mm-hmm. Murdoch went and he bought up like all these little stations, I think, and then made a network. And then a few years later started turning and get into all the sports networks uh, or something. I don't know. It got weird. And I just remember my first year we got the video um, for Christmas. He gave us the video trilogy on VHS of um, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. And no was, way. Yeah. That's cool. And then the next year we got Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, do they have extras of these in the storage room? Right? What's that about? <laughs> What's that about? Do you like Star Wars? Oh, I loved it. Oh, yeah. I love Star Wars. Yeah. The original. Me too. I'm not into all these. No. Uh, I'll only watch The New Hope over again. The, 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 the New Star Hope Wars is, 4. Yeah. yeah. I won't do I mean, I've seen Return of the Jedi and the other. Empire Strikes Back. But I won't watch them again. No. no. Just a brave uh, New Hope. <laughs> yeah. I've seen all of them. Isla decided to have a Star Wars themed party where we started at 730 in the morning and watched every single Star Wars feature film. Oh, my God. One in order. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then what's after that? Um, 
the um the last Jedi or something, mm-hmm. and then another one, and then the the um no not Mandalorian. <laughs> that's a that's a TV show. That's a series, not a film. See, I and then know. the other one that was Rogue the Rogue oh what Rogue One. That was a good movie. Yeah. I have to say, Rogue One was really good. Yeah. Um, she did. watched all of them. It took us from seven a.m. We watched until like midnight that night. We took a break to eat like a couple times and then got up the next morning at 7 a.m. and watched the last two. How many people at this party? Probably eight. Did they all enjoy it? Yeah. We had a blast. We took our couches. You know, our couches, as you know, are like perpendicular to the television. Mm -hmm. We made them parallel to the television, one in front of the other. And put our little coffee tables in front of them. Oh, sweet. And I had a concession area and I had like, I don't know, I had a full standing cutout of Chewbacca and it was freaking awesome. I had like a glowing millennial falcon mm-hmm. and millennium falcon and um, we had a blast. I had this awesome Star Wars cake made the, like the top of it was a stormtrooper head oh, or cool. something. Or R2-D2's head or something. I don't remember. But we had a blast. I actually saw Star Wars about 12 times. The summer you did? It came out because my sister was a huge um, science, science fiction freak. Star Trek, Star Wars, all that stuff. And she was also kind of the bully in the family. Mm. So whatever she wanted, we did. So she wanted to keep going to see Star 12 Wars. 12 times. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Maybe like seven. But it felt like a lot. I saw it with my parents. And that was the last movie I saw with my parents when they were married. Oh, wow. And they divorced after that. It was my last Because movie. of that? Yes, probably. Darth Vader said, you must divorce. <laughs> no, I remember sitting between the two of them in the movie theater and being terrified of Darth Vader. I was seven. And he was like, you know, the music. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. I guess I'd only seen like Disney cartoon type right. movies before that. The music is what really scared me. You know, his theme song, dun, 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 done. I was completely done from that theme song. It's very scary. Like the thing in the garbage still freaks me out. Oh, totally. (laughs) Totally freaky. Not just that they're being squashed, but there's that animal in there that wants to eat them. Oh, and its eyeball comes up and looks around. No, forget it. I don't do that. No, I don't want to do that either. No. So you're in post. You have a director. director. You're getting to a point and then you go to an editor and then you're ready to go. Yeah. So easy as that. How are you funding this? Do you have a GoFundMe or anything? Um, Well, interestingly, um, I I have funded it various times through different things. Um, Right now, though, I basically am under a fiscal sponsorship with the International Documentary Association, which means I can people can donate to the project through them. Um, nonprofit, or so they can get a tax break or whatever. Got it. Um, but they've just actually switched platforms to this very cool thing called We Did It, which oh. I'm just in the process of setting up now. But it's something I've been waiting for because it it has a lot of different things. Like I could do an online event and sell tickets or do things like that. So I'm going to try and get really creative with the rest of the funding. That's amazing. Yeah. You can do an online event. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. It's just like this one stop shop for anything you can think of to raise money. So, so how do people find it? Um, it'll be through my website, this islandgoldens.com. It's okay. not quite up yet, but I'm hoping September is um, suicide prevention and awareness month. So I'm hoping to be able to launch my new fundraising campaign by then. Right. I'll let you know. You can talk P- about it. Please let me know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I have to donate too. 
That'd uh, be great. No, because what the the thing that's really important to me is I'm trying to get um, people to donate in memory of somebody. Mm. So every every donation, no matter what level, will have um, you know given in honor of so-and-so. Um, but then there'll be different tiers too, if you want like pictures or quotes or, or mm-hmm. things like that, because I want to, you know, as much as it's my story, it's not my story. And right. I'm trying to show it's everybody's story. Yeah. And so having like a long, long list of people mm. that we're all willing to give something would just show how many people this affects, you yeah. know, because people don't know. I mean, as much as suicide prevention is being talked about now and mental health, it's like there's still these little niches of like the suicide loss survivors where they don't want to hear about it. People don't want to talk about it after it happened. It's one right. thing to try and prevent it. But once it's happened, it's like, mm, no, too scary. Yeah. You know? So or too weird or too whatever. So too upsetting. Yeah. Who wa- willingly walks in a door and goes, can I just be upset for an hour? That's why right. people don't go to therapy, because if you don't get upset for an hour from time to time, you're not doing it right. right. And it sucks. Right. It's terrible. It's hard. But it's ineffective unless you're willing to go, I can be upset for an hour, you know, or however long your therapy is. But okay, well then the silentgoldens.com, come back in September and check it out. Yeah. You can come back in September. We'll talk again if you want. Oh, cool. That'd be fun. I'd like to. Um, but I have to go back to moving. I understand. And I'm okay. here to help if you need anything. Well, thank not in that pretty dress. <laughs> I can't put you to work in that pretty dress. It's too I dusty know, in this I house. Left, I left my dog clothes at your other house. You did? Did you go to my other house before? Yeah. How were my dogs? They're fine. But your sister-in-law was there. Oh, Cotty was there? And then your other sister-in-law came. Yeah. She dropped off boxes. Yeah. They're moving into our old house, which is exciting. I think she's excited because she's brought stuff over there every day. I mean, they live in a really nice condominium, but she has a three-year-old. He needs a yard. I think she's really looking for the yard and their condominium is a two bedroom Mm -hmm. and they have two kids. So I think this is going to be a great stepping stone for them to get to buy a house and have a little elbow room. You know, they don't have nearly as much stuff as we did. So it's a fun place though. It's a great little house. We had so much love in that house and fun and happy memories and it's really sad to leave it, but it's okay too, because we're in a different phase. You know, that neighborhood is about young kids mm-hmm. with a holiday parade and Halloween trick-or-treating. And our kids have outgrown all that. And even though it's still really cool, I'm super excited for Bert's sister to have her kids now mm-hmm. start that process because that little neighborhood, I swear, that little neighborhood is not LA. Yeah, I don't know how it ended up here, but it's not. I was actually doing my clothes at the laundromat because my um, my dryer broke, as you know. Oh, yeah. I uh, know. <laughs> and I can't get a dryer uh, because they're, you know, of COVID. Everything's kind of hard uh. to get. Um, so I've been taking my clothes to the laundromat. And the lady who works at the laundromat and I started talking. Her kids went to school with my kids. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit older. But they all were at the same elementary school, at the same middle school. And she said to me, this ain't like L.A. Right. Like, I don't know what is in this little bitty part, but it's like a small town in the middle of this big city. And it just couldn't have been a nicer place to raise yeah, kids. And that's how I met you. I mean, yes, exactly. Your friend Margaret, small town. My friend, yeah. Margaret, our mutual friend. Yep. Is the one that's gotten me over half my jobs. I am sure. in that area. Yeah. Because we all mm-hmm. are neighborly. Mm-hmm. You know, Margaret and I aren't best friends, but I'd say we're very good friends. Right. And. 
uh, I mean, Margaret would help somebody two doors down as you barely knew because everybody in this neighborhood is just neighborly. She's, she's the one I called in a panic last year over Priscilla. Yeah, I know. Well, not to bring that up. But I mean, she was my go-to because I'm like, she yeah, knows totally. you. She knows she me. Priscilla, yeah, <laughs> she knows you. Who else would you go to? It's such a great community. It's yeah. been an amazing experience. I'm, I'm sad to leave that community, even though we haven't really left. Right. We're a mile and a half away. But it's not really the same. I know, but uh, but at least your your foundations there are good. I mean, you have they're yeah. your friends forever. They're my friends forever. That's the truth. I made friends forever, just with my kids going to elementary school exactly. and meeting like minded, kind, neighborly, fun, happy people. Mm-hmm. Everybody that lives over there is happy. Ruth, I appreciate you so much. And I'm so happy for all this progress you've made. It's really powerful because the first time I met you, you seemed very fragile and very heavy and shaky, like you were on shaky ground. That was my impression. I didn't know you at all. I didn't know your history. Margaret just said, I have this great person who's a dog sitter. Can you want meet her? And I was like, of course. Um, but I worried about you a lot, oh, actually. I thought oh. about you and worried because you seemed very shaky, oh, like on shaky thank ground. Thank you. I'm sorry. Not that you were going to do, not that, not that no, was majorly wrong, saying. but you just seemed really fragile and you don't seem that way anymore. Well, that, thank you. I mean, it's nice to hear. I don't, I mean, sometimes I I don't always feel good. Like, Well, no. But um, but it's nice to hear. And I think in general, like I, I am more solid because I'm more sure of what I'm doing because I've been doing it and- it's getting better and better. Right. All my clients are moving to these fantastic new homes. I know. Tell me about it. But let me ask you this one more thing, and then I have to go. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do when this project is over? I honestly think I'm going to like just enjoy dog sitting because, you know, bit, part yeah. of the problem with doing two things is when you're doing the one thing, you always think you should be doing the other. And when you're doing that, you want to be doing the other. And it would, I've always said, if I could just concentrate on one thing and just enjoy it for a minute. That's what I mean. I'm hoping that the film leads me to like speaking engagements sure. and, you know, touring with it or whatever. But, you know, as far as like solidly making money, if I was going to look for a job, I'd just continue expanding my dog sitting business. That's really cool. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'll continue to hire you as a dog sitter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Forever <laughs> and ever. To say yes. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you for doing this today. Thanks for I having appreciate me. it. It's fun. <laughs> I think that we should.